We're going to be journeying to Bethlehem still. This is week two. It's a prepared journey. Uh, did not realize that as I was studying this week, that also our Sunday school lesson would have a point called being prepared for Ezekiel. Also, <clears throat> this candle that we lit this morning is the Bethlehem candle. It's also called the prepa preparation candle as well. And uh, you may say, oh, Brother Blake, you knew that was happening. No, seriously, I, I did not realize that. The Lord led me to this text. I knew I wanted to preach Micah chapter 5 at some point during this um, Christmas season, this time of journeying to Bethlehem. But as we look at this today, there is a lot of prophecy. Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, these little bitty books, they carry a lot of punch, a lot of power to them. In Micah chapter 5, just as you're finding your place there, I want to uh, give you this, uh, this thought was beneficial to better understand this text that we will look at this morning. Bill Curtis gave some great insight on looking at prophecies from the Old Testament, and I thought this was very valuable. It's a little bit longer and lengthy, but I want you to hear what, what this commentator said. We have the benefit of the New Testament revelation and historical insight. We understand that hidden within the mystery of God's redemptive plan for the world is a plan to send the Messiah in two distinct advents. The Messiah will come first, will come the first time to be the Savior of the world. The second time he'll come to be the King of the world. And that's what we look forward to is the day that Christ will come back. The prophet Micah may have been unaware of this truth when he wrote the book, however, this was an issue that many prophets wrestled with as they revealed God's prophecies. Remember, according to Paul, the advent of Messiah as Savior was hidden from the prophets. We see that in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. And as a result, when the prophets saw glimpses of the coming Messiah, they may have anticipated that he would establish his kingdom at his first appearing. And it's easy to understand why the prophets would struggle with this. You know, God allowed them to have glimpses into the future, but for them it was like looking at a mountain range from a distance. And we can relate to this, right? You look at a mountain range from a distance, and it looks like all the mountain peaks are all together, right? But then if you were to stand on top of one of those mountain peaks, you would notice there are valleys and cliffs and a great distance between the two. And so when we look at these prophecies of old, you know, a lot of times they may have been seeing these mountain ranges from a distance. And oh, they're real tight and close together, but the closer you get, the further they grow apart. And so we see that here. And uh, you, you, when the prophets saw events in the future, they had no way of knowing the time gaps between them. And when the prophets saw events in the future, uh, in the case of the Messiah, God shielded the prophets from the knowledge that he was going to send the Messiah not once but twice, and there would be a lengthy time period between the two. Warren Wearsby says this, whenever a prophet foretold the future, it was to awaken the people to reach their responsibility in the present. Bible prophecy isn't entertainment for the curious, it's encouragement for the serious. So as we journey to Bethlehem, we can see the mountain range as it pertains to us. We look back to Bethlehem, but we look forward to the coming of the Messiah, to Christ's kingly return. And as we break open the bread of life today and receive the word, we will observe how these words resonate and carry truths to us today from God through the prophet Micah. 
So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Micah chapter 5, looking at verses 2 through 5. Now you may say, why are you skipping over verse 1, Brother Blake? Because really it has more context into chapter 4. We do know that chapter and verse was not inspired by God, chapter and verse, so we can find things in the Bible. And people were courteous enough to make that for us. So don't think, oh my goodness, he has totally skipped it. But verse 2 really begins this thought pattern on the coming Messiah, which your Bible may actually give that title to it. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, although you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. So as we look at this, you know, normally I would have uh, three different points you know they try to teach you that stuff in seminary but sometimes scripture just doesn't lend to really three good points sometimes you just got to preach the text and today that's what I'm doing I'm just preaching the text so if you look there the first thing that Micah receives from the Lord he says but you Bethlehem Ephrathah now when we look at these two words these are two very important words Bethlehem number one means house of bread and then Ephrathah means fruitfulness. So we know there's going to be a lot of fruitfulness that will come from that word that will come from this town. We know if you go back and read from chapter 4, you'll find out they were not in a good place. They were not in a good place. So they're looking forward to a king, somebody who's going to come. One king became a baby. They're looking for that. They don't know how it's going to come. They know from the prophet here at Micah, that it's going to come in, the, the Messiah will come through Bethlehem Ephrathah. And the house of bread gave space for the bread of life. We know Jesus is the bread. He is what sustains us. And from Bethlehem, we get the Savior. Why is Bethlehem important? Why is that word Ephrathah? It is very important because this is the city where Boaz and Ruth met. Pretty important. It's in the line and lineage of David. You've got Jesse and David that all comes through this town of Bethlehem. It's so important. We know that Joseph and Mary made the trek to Bethlehem because they were what? Of the house and lineage of David. So Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah. Now what does that mean? Each tribe was divided into thousands, which would be equivalent to clans with its own head. And Bethlehem was not big enough even to have that. They were on the outskirts of Jerusalem. They were just a tiny little old town. It's kind of like Jasper in relation to Birmingham. You know, it's just a little town. And I'm, I'm giving them a lot of credit. It's, it's what it's like, you know. People don't think a lot of Jasper. We got a lot going on. We got a good little town. Bethlehem probably had a good little town. A lot of good people in Bethlehem. But at the same time, when you compare it to Birmingham, we're just a blip on the map. And that's kind of like Bethlehem. And then Jesus obviously gets raised up in Nazareth later on, and, and they talk about, you know, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, they started in Bethlehem, and a lot of good things came out of Bethlehem. All right, so don't, don't judge somebody by where they're at. 
All right? So that's a, me- a whole other message another day. So anyway, it's Bethlehem Ephrathah. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah. And God's choice of Bethlehem rather than Judah than Jer- Jerusalem as a place to begin the redemptive process uh, reflects God's preference for the lowly and unassuming rather than the grand and the mighty. You know, this is one thing, I think I wrote it on this next sheet, uh, but one thing that, that we, can, we, we can take a lot of solace in, we can take peace in this, is that our God didn't come to the grand and the mighty, as he just said. He didn't start there. He starts with the lowly and unassuming. Because that's where most people start out. A lot of us don't start out at the top, do we? No. A lot of us, we, we may never even get to what the world considers the top. I'm at the top, just to be honest with you. You know why? Because once Jesus Christ called upon me and I responded in faith, I'm at the top. I'm eternally set with my Father in heaven. I ain't got no, there's no greater place to be. I'm with Jesus. I'll be with Jesus for eternity. My soul is locked into salvation. Listen, there ain't no greater place for me to be. So everywhere I go, I'm in a good place. Right? Is that it for you? I hope so. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school this morning. If you've got Jesus Christ, there's no greater place to be. He's going to keep you, guard you. The Holy Spirit's going to seal you. He's going to keep you. He's going to walk with you. The Spirit's going to sanctify you. Listen, it's a good place to be. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small. Listen, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. He is a king then, born for kingly office and with kingly power. That's who he is. He is one who's going to go forth as the ruler. He is the one, capital O. He is going to be the ruler. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no end to this one that's going to come out of Bethlehem. The house of bread gives forth to the bread of life. And we know that is the one ingredient, the one uh, substance that can stick with you. If, if you've got nothing else, eat a little piece of bread. It'll hold you over. And you know what? If you'll take a Jesus, he'll hold you over. He'll sustain you. He is enough. The thing is, so many times when people want to add stuff to Jesus, let me add this to Jesus, good works to Jesus, all these other things, and, and, and it, if you add anything to Jesus, you're saying Jesus ain't enough. Jesus is enough. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's a, it is finished. It was enough. His life, his death, his resurrection is enough to sustain us and hold us for all of eternity. He is enough. We've got to trust him in that. And he is the one. Yet out of you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, although you're small, you're a tiny little little city, tiny little town, out of you will come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. You know, in today's culture, I said we got to be careful about telling our kids you can be anything you want to be today said that Wednesday night, I think. But listen, I'm talking about like achieving things. We don't need to hinder our kids saying that you can't achieve this. Now, you can't be anything, but there's almost, you can, if you put your mind to it, you, you seek the Lord, you can achieve almost anything. You can't be anything, okay? All right, you can't change, well, you shouldn't be able to change 
who you are. But I tell you this, you can achieve anything if you commit yourself to it and you'll commit yourself to the Lord and trust his will for your life. You can achieve it. Listen, Bethlehem, you know, people like Bethlehem, whatever, Jasper, Thatch, that's where I live, Thatch, what's going to come out of Thatches? You know what I mean? Whatever it may be, Double Springs. I'm not trying to be negative toward any community or whatever. But you know, that's, that's kind of the thought pattern, right? Oh, nothing, nothing good can come out of there. You better watch your mouth. Don't you doubt the Lord. There can be great people that change the world. And listen, changing the world doesn't mean you've got to change the whole globe. Changing the world is somebody's life. You can change the world. we got so many educators in this room today. Started out in Walker County, went off to colleges, got educated, came back, taught, impressed, encouraged, changed, uh, lifted, and, 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 and led people to where they felt like they can achieve anything, and you sit in this very room. And somebody, maybe at some point, said, you can't, you're not going to be able to do nothing. And look at all the lives that have been changed because you did something. Look at all the lives that have been changed because you did something. You chose to go and do something. You, you, you got your education. It, it might have been hard. It might have been difficult. Financially strapping for whatever it may be. But you sought the Lord. You said, this is what the Lord wants me to do. And you sought him out. And even though you come from Walker County or Thatch or Nauvoo or, or Double Springs or wherever it may be or, or Good Springs or Paris, it don't really matter. You know, you said, I'm going to do this. And the Lord, I trust the Lord that he's got a plan for me in my life. And you go out and you do great things. Listen, it's just very similar to that of Bethlehem. People say, nothing's good going to come out of Bethlehem. How in the world? And you know, they're not reading their Bible. They're not reading their Bible. But I'll tell you who was reading their Bible. You want to tell you something that's very interesting? I, I wrote this down <laughs> in my text. Did you know this is the scripture used by the Sanhedrin to answer Herod's question where the Christ was to be born? Did you know that? That's pretty cool stuff. Herod's like, where's this Messiah that's supposed to be coming out, supposed to be born? They're like, Bethlehem. You, you know the word? Comes out of Micah chapter 5. And we're preaching it this very day. Listen, great things can come out of unassuming places. Great people can come out of unassuming and lowly places. Don't count yourself out. Don't count yourself out of what God can do in you and through you for him, if you'll submit to the will of him. Don't count yourself out. And at any age, it doesn't matter. God can do great things in and through you. Now listen, we're not Jesus. I'm not trying to tell you that. But what I am telling you is this. We cannot, we cannot uh, put ourselves down because of where we're from. We need, to lift, we need to have Christ lift us up because of where we are now bound to go. If you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Apart from him, I can do nothing. I can do nothing apart from him. I don't know what it is God has for me to do. I know right now it's for me to preach the word and pastor this church. But I don't know what that is for you. But in the will of God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't fly like Peter Pan, you know. But I can preach the word. And I can love my wife, and I can love my kids, and I can lead my family, and I can, I can try to lead this church with other folks who are leading alongside of me. And we can love one another 
we can equip this church and we can love this community and reach out to them and share the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we can do. And I can do all those things through Christ who strengthens me. And we can do those things through Christ who strengthens us. We're a new prospect in a little town called Jasper. But you know, little towns all across the world have changed things. Big things. I got a buddy that went to seminary with me. I'm going to get back to the text in just a moment. I got a buddy who went to seminary with me named Joey Hanna. Went to a little church called Union 3 Baptist Church. When he went there, they were running around 150 folks. I was at seminary with him. He was a youth pastor in the county I grew up in. Uh, he's got a great testimony. He was a truck driver. Man, he had a rough life, man. Gave his life to Christ. Changed him. In the church he was in, he became deacon, and then he became youth pastor. And youth pastor, now he's a pastor at Union 3 Baptist Church. Union 3 had the fastest growing church in 2018 or 19 in the state of Alabama. They went from running 150 folks to 900 people in a little town called Ball Play, Alabama. Now, if you know where that's at, that's a tiny little blip on the map. But Christ worked in that church because people decided we're going to submit to the will of God and reach people for Jesus. Don't put yourself off. Don't limit what God can do. He did great things. And he said, back in the Old Testament, through Micah the prophet, Bethlehem Ephrathah, I, I know you think you're small. Matter of fact, you're not really even named among the clans. But let me tell you something. One's going to come out of you. One's going to come out of you that's going to be great. He's going to come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting Okay, that means to conduct one's activities is what is meant to conduct one's activity from old. He's been doing it for a long time. God's been working from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity to eternity. There is no limit on who he is. He is the eternal God. And the reference to this uh, origins from this old from everlasting has been connected to the eternal pre-existence of Christ the Messiah. But the parallelism with the preceding line suggests Micah is probably pointing back to the ancient line of David. God could do great things out of small, what we think, lowly or unassuming places. The Messiah, the ruler of the world, came out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Therefore, let's look. It says, therefore, he shall give them up. Verse 3. What does that mean? God is preparing them for his return, knowing of their forsaking of him and then their dispersion in other countries due to their sinfulness and rebellion. God is preparing them for his return and for their return, matter of fact, to Israel itself. Hosea also spoke of a period when Israel would not be God's people and saw the state of separation from God continuing until the exile's return and sought the Lord and the Messianic king who is called David. That's found in Hosea 1.9. And in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 in Hosea. It says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. A lot of people have equated this to Mary. This is not a message of Mary. Because this is talking about the nation is going to give them up. Until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. It's talking about the nation of Israel. God's abandonment is not permanent from Israel but it is to reveal their wanderings from him. God will return to his people. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He might step away for a moment, but he's not going to leave us nor forsake us. He had his eye on them the whole time. He knew 
He knew what was going on. He knew where they were uh, walking in the wrong direction, how he was going to bring them back. It says, Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. God shall call back his people to himself, and they shall return and be received back into his loving and secure arms. The remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And he shall stand. This is the beauty of this. And he shall stand and feed his flock. Now, I'm going to pause right there because he gives uh, in two ways that he's going to do that. How he's going to stand and feed his flock. There's two ways he's going to do it. But Jesus, Jesus is clearly seen here as the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd. I read a book years ago called Scouting the Divine by a lady named Margaret Feinberg. And uh, it's an excellent book. And she goes and she, she stays with the shepherd and how he tends to his sheep and how he watches over them. And it's just a beautiful book because she lives with the guy, he, her and her husband, they live with this guy for about three months so that they can really get an idea of what it's like to be a shepherd and truly care for those sheep. It was eye-opening to me. I read it a long time ago. I need to read it again because I'm, it's kind of getting fuzzy in the back with everything else I've read. But she also goes and stays with a beekeeper, her and her husband, so that she can understand what it means to live in the land flowing with milk and honey. And she stays with uh, a couple of different folks like that that are doing those things. It's a great book. If you've never read it, I'd recommend it. Uh, it's Margaret Feinberg, Scouting the Divine. And it's a great book, but we see that he stands and feeds his flock. And when that shepherd is standing and watching, he's, he's guarding over, he's looking over his sheep, watching out. You know, it was this morning we talked about, we didn't really get to go into a whole lot of depth about it in our Sunday school class. Ezekiel was the watchman on the wall. And see, the, the shepherd is very similar to that. He's watching over those sheep, making sure that the wolves and the bears and anything else that may come and attack them, he can see them from afar. And he knows how to defend his sheep. Jesus stands. You know, we think about this and we think about like Stephen, for example, when he was being stoned. Stephen looked up in the heavens and he saw the Lord. The Lord wasn't sitting. What was he doing? He was standing because he's a good shepherd. He's watching over his people. And when we go through trials and hurt, he's standing and watching over us. He's a good shepherd. Jesus clearly seen here as that. And first, he will stand in the strength of the Lord. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord. This is how that ruler is going to do it. It's not, it's not going to be in anything else but in the strength of the Lord. And, and this reminds me that he's going to be a sure king and a sustaining shepherd. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflow. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How wonderful to know that we have a good shepherd. And that great, not just a good one. He is a good one. But he's a great shepherd. And he's going to stand and he is going to feed us. He will sustain us by his word and by every other thing that we need. He will sustain us. He will feed us. 
And he's going to stand over us and guard us as a good shepherd does with his rod and his staff. And he's going to do that in the strength of the Lord. And he's going to do it in the majesty, in the name of the Lord. Of his, excuse me, in the majesty of the name of, of the Lord his God. So it's this majesty, what does that mean? When we think about the majesty of the name, this, when we stand in someone's name, usually that means that the character of that individual is, is, is placed upon us. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto Jesus Christ because of what he has done. And he will stand in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. The Messiah shall rule in all the power and glory with which God hath revealed himself on earth. That's how he's going to stand. It's going to be a beautiful day to know that we've got a good shepherd that stands over and guards us, sustains us, feeds us, and brings us into eternal glory. It's wonderful to know that. And in the latter part of that verse there, in the latter part of verse 4, in the first line of verse 5, because after that first line, it goes into more of the judgment on Israel's enemy. But the latter part of verse 4, in the very first line of verse 5, it says, And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. So they shall abide. Who are, who are they? That's the flock. One day when he comes, we will abide. To abide means to dwell somewhere. You know, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, is what Psalm 23 says. David understood all this. Man, how good and great of a shepherd that, that God the Father is. Jesus Christ for us will be. How wonderful to know that. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. The, the disciples constantly wanted him to, oh, take the throne. You know, they were constantly going... They were, at one point, the scripture even tells us that, that the, the, the disciples and other people were going to take Jesus and basically forcibly make him the king of Israel. And Jesus departed from him. He's like, ah, oh, it ain't time for that. I ain't, I ain't here for that. Remember, at first he came to be the savior of the world. Next time he's going to come as the king of the world. He's not going to need any man, woman, boy, or child to set him on a throne. He's just going to come in and take it. It's his to take. When he rides in, it's going to be his. There ain't going to be nobody that's going to be able to stand and defeat him. There might be some that want to fight him, but they ain't going to be able to defeat him. And he's going to sit on his throne, and he's going to rule and reign just as he should. And he's going to rule not just Israel. He's going to rule for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. There's no, there's no end to his reign on this earth. There's no end in his reign in, in time frame, in eternity. He rules, he reigns, but the thing is for us is the reason why that's constantly put like that is because it's in our context. He rules and reigns right now. Even in the midst of all of our sin and our selfishness and the way of our society, he still rules and reigns now. He's all working it for his glory, working it toward his end goal, which is to bring all his people home so that we may all be together one day, his church, his bride. One day that day will come, and this one shall be peace. Peace is not found anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. If you want peace, you're only going to find it in Jesus. 
The word used here is shalom, and it involves the kind of tranquility that comes from knowing who you are and where you come from. It involves the kind of prosperity that arises from a thankful spirit. That is what he is going to do. He is going to bring peace to our hearts and our lives. And the greatest peace is this, is that on that, on that day that I die, on the day that God says, Blake, today's your last day to breathe on this earth. The next breath you take is going to be with me in heaven. Listen, I don't have to fear. You know, when you don't have peace with God, you've got fear of death. But when you've got peace with God, there is no fear in death. Because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. There's no fear for the believer. Should not be. People get people scared to fly. People are scared to ride in the car. People are scared to go here, there, and everywhere. Why is that? Because they're scared of death. Why are you scared of death? I'm confident in where I'm going. If God calls me home, if I get in that red Honda Ridge line this afternoon, I hope you don't. But if I get in that red Honda Ridge line and I'm on my way home and somebody hits me and it's my final day on earth, I ain't fearful. I have no reason to be afraid. I've got the God of peace reigning and ruling in my life. I've got the Holy Spirit that sealed me until the day of my redemption, which would be that day, because I will be ultimately saved and glorified from then on out. I ain't got to worry about sin no more. I ain't got to worry about being selfish no more. I ain't got to worry about this society affecting me and tempting me and me wanting to do what it wants me to do no more. No. Saved. Saved to the uttermost. So I don't have to worry about that no more. So I can surrender my life. I can be confident in the peace that God gives me. I can be confident. And this one shall be peace. Peace is what we all desire. I really feel like that's, that's one of the greatest things. We want peace. We want peace of mind knowing that if something were to happen to me today, it's okay. When I was young, I gave my life, I surrendered my life to Christ. He is the Lord. He came looking for me. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood, as the song says. He sought me. I was wicked and sinful. I wasn't seeking after him. Praise God, my family kept putting me on the front porch of salvation, kept putting me right there, kept bringing me to church. I was in the pew. My parents kept putting me real close to Jesus. They could put me as close as they want to, but they can't put Jesus in me. Only by my submission to his lordship does Jesus come into my life. That's the only way he's going to come into your life. 